0: How can you build an engaged, high-performing workplace culture, whether you're in the office, hybrid, or fully remote? Even better, how can you do it without the burnout and high turnover that often come from a fast-paced environment with high workloads? That's the focus of today's episode, and the answer will surprise you, or at least it's going to make you wonder why so few companies actually do it. My special guest today is tech leader and serial entrepreneur, Graham Barlow. He's an expert at building thriving companies and teams. Over the past 14 years, he's built and scaled four successful companies, selling two of them. Now, before you say the tech industry is different, I encourage you to hear his simple philosophy and highly effective strategy for building businesses and teams. Regardless of your industry or company size, Graham's insights will be realistic and practical. Welcome to the Working Well podcast. The show that explores the rapidly changing landscape of work and well-being. Each episode, we dive into the hottest topics in leadership, employee well-being, and the future of work. I'm your host, Tim Boris. And before we dive in, let's learn a bit more about Graham. As mentioned, Graham is a seasoned serial entrepreneur. He's got an impressive track record spanning over 24 years. He's most renowned for his pioneering efforts in the tech industry co-founding and leading four successful companies that have left a significant mark on the business landscape. This includes co-founding a gaming currency company that was acquired in 2006, a social gaming company Rocket Owl that grew to over a million active users and was acquired by Catchment Technologies in 2014. Uh, then there's ProPet Software, a thriving SaaS company specializing in business management tools for the pet industry and numerous other companies that continue to thrive today. Since 2016, Graham has been focused on building Iversoft, a world class software development agency specializing in mobile and emerging technologies. Under his guidance, the company has grown from a team of seven to a nationally distributed team of more than 50 employees with annual revenue approaching $10 million. Needless to say, Graham knows business and what it takes to scale an idea and a team. All right, Graham, great to have you on the Working Well podcast. And uh, yeah, over the past 15 years, you've had amazing success. You've built multiple companies, built high performing teams. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, uh, Congrats on that. Thank you, uh, Tim. It's awesome to be on the show. I
1: appreciate you extending the invite and I've really enjoyed the conversations to date. It's been awesome kind of learning some of your perspective and sharing what we've been learning on uh, what has been a pretty crazy past couple of years and the kind of employee and cultural wellness side of building building teams and building culture so excited to be here excited to chat
0: awesome well i know from our previous conversations and uh, chats we've had uh, off the show it's i'm super excited to dive into some of these uh, you've touched on a few things that I'm, i know our listeners will really get value from and we're starting to see lots of big changes across uh, well not just the tech industry but workplaces in general. And I think some of the things that you've experienced are going to be a tremendous value and and help company other organizations really benefit from some of the learning you've done.
1: Yeah, it's been uh it's been a pretty exciting and crazy journey. And I mean, one of the things that I'm keen to dive into, especially for uh potentially your non-tech listeners, is even though the tech sector and at least like our current company, Iversoft has always viewed ourselves as very progressive in the kind of people and culture space and very progressive in our leadership style and thinking. One of the things that has been most enlightening for us over the last three or four years has been how many assumptions we thought we knew about how things had to work or things that really couldn't change. And the more we've experimented with new strategies, new approach, Uh, the more we've been surprised at the results and realizing that a lot of maybe the more traditional philosophies on how things have to happen or how team building happens or how culture becomes a thing um, really aren't what we assumed they were. Uh, One great example that I think we, we laughed about last time is prior to the pandemic, we had a in hindsight, somewhat comical. At the time, we thought very progressive policy of, um, we had a remote work policy where staff could request, I think, one day a month with manager approval, where they could work from home as long as as it was planned well enough in advance. And we were like, yeah, we've, we've got this remote work thing. Um, and I don't think anyone really used it. And we were not believers in the space. And we went from kind of that mindset to, in the span of less than 30 days, taking the entire company fully remote. And at this point now have no office, no physical presence, and have more than 50 employees across the country working fully remote and performing at a higher level than we've ever seen in the 12-year history at Iversoft.
0: That's great. And I, like, I definitely want to chat a bit about the, the productivity side of things. But you, a lot of people think that Tech now particularly, is, oh, everyone's you know, globally distributed, like Atlassian or something like that. but you were bricks and mortar for all the previous companies, and you everyone came to the office each day. So what tell me a bit about how your leadership style has had to shift over that time?: Yeah, so I think one thing that's
1: interesting, at least for my own career progression is I actually started like my first kind of business when I was when I was very, very young in the space, um, like in my teens, um, was a fully remote company. It was the rest of the partners I had in the business were all friends I'd met through online gaming and never really connected in person, never really connected online. And that was 20 plus years ago. Um so my start in business and tech was remote. Since then, every company i built, um from kind of consulting to game development to iversoft was bricks and mortar and like when we look back at it iversoft scaled up to about 30 people um in physical space and right before the pandemic we had just finished renovating 12 and a half thousand square feet of office space in Ottawa because that was where we were going to be growing and expanding and kind of taking over the world from and one thing that at least for me has been a bit of a Guiding star, when you see so many experienced voices in the business world and in the tech world saying like, "Oh, you can't develop junior talent, you can't do culture, you can't do all of these things online and virtually. Um, I come from the gaming space. I like my entire life has been online. Um, the, the best man at my wedding I met through playing World of Warcraft fifteen plus years ago, and I think we've met in person three times in my lifetime. Um, but has been one of my closest relationships. And I look at the kind of bonds and culture that can be created in online gaming through fairly large teams. Like traditionally it used to be up to like 40 people overcoming extremely complex, extremely um, high paced challenges. And if you asked some of those groups, if they felt like there was culture, if there was collaboration, if there was shared learning, I think you'd get a pretty resounding and definitive like, hell yes, there is. That's, that's literally what we do. That's what defines us. That's how we make things happen. And yet, when you kind of shifted gears into a corporate setting, it was like, oh, yeah, no, no, we couldn't, couldn't possibly develop junior talent, you couldn't possibly um, nurture confidence or other things. And I think, as a leadership group at Iversoft, and for myself, it's been challenging that at every step and trying to be trying to look to other places where that's been overcome and leveraging those tools. And so we've used a lot of the tools from the gaming ecosystem from um, different online communities to help try and create an online culture and online collaboration and seen pretty incredible results from it. However, it means that you have to be very intentional with it. And this is where I think what you're touching on a little bit of like leadership style has to change. If you take remote and as something that you're doing because you have to, Or if you take it as a philosophy of like, we're hybrid, most of my focus is on the people in the office. There are also people on a screen that dial in and they will kind of get what they get. It's not gonna work. Like, you kind of have to go all in on virtual and we are gonna make sure virtual mentoring happens. And um, if it's pair programming, if it's check ins, if it's one on ones, if it's random coffee chats with lots of different people in the company, cross departmental and everything, all of that can be recreated virtually. Um, and, but not without leadership and kind of, um, a strong embrace and championing from your executive team. And I think that's, that's a big thing where a lot of companies have struggled is you don't necessarily have full buy-in from the executive team because a lot of the executive team kind of wants everyone back into the office. They want to be able to see people. They want to be able to connect. And I think there's value in those connections, but I think there's potentially more value in kind of occasional or quarterly or whatever it is, groups of people getting together versus like, oh, yeah, no, we're infinitely better if we had 50 people in one room versus 50 people not stressed out, not commuting, distributed across the country and access to some of the best talent we could possibly attract anywhere in Canada versus who is in commuting distance to a building.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you you nailed it when you said intentionality. It It has to be a mindset shift that happens is and you use the words uh, "going all in," How, however you describe it, it has to be a commitment by leadership to say this is what we're doing, and learning from it, and and knowing that you probably won't be able to do the same things that you did previously, or at least in the same way. Uh, in fact, yeah. some ways you can do them a lot better. But the and, and that some of that is overcoming those uh, belief systems that people have held so strongly uh i love how you said uh what we thought we knew pre covid and um, yeah what talk talk Humbley. a bit more about some of those <laughs> uh those beliefs that you had to sort of reframe or or get yeah. rid of i i mean the the big one was remote work that, that was
1: the that was the giant crazy one of like we're like We couldn't possibly do what we do, not remote. You need everyone around a whiteboard, around a table for a scrum and whatever. And all the developers need to be able to like see each other. And it's like, really? We had a little bit into that. We had a month into it and cadence for like every metric we track was up. And if we look at the last three years, our quality of what we ship, the quality of the products, the quality of the code, caliber of the talent, like everything across the board is, is up. The other thing that I think was a, big one is a lot of us bought into the philosophy that culture in a company is defined by the events and the parties or the quarterly events or like the 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 stuff outside of the work and the reality of what we've seen is culture especially in a digital ecosystem becomes way more about the values that bind you together the philosophies that are kind of lived by the leadership team. And we hear this time and time again, in one on ones in reviews and feedback from our staff, that one of the core uh, culture tenets at Iversoft is transparency, um, that we run a very transparent model, we have um, quarterly all hands where we go through all the financials for the company, good, bad or otherwise, we show expenses, profitability, revenue, Um, anything that are that's a concern for us we go through all projects across all the teams what's going well what's not going well and at any time are generally willing to sit down and have a conversation with the staff over kind of where things are at and what's what's going on Um, and we get so much feedback but that is such a culture shift for them to experience Um, nobody's really come forward and say man transparency is nice but i wish we had pizza every thursday like it's been a lot of like, you guys live the transparency, you live those values. Um, another one has been that um, this is a little bit heretical in the services world, but the client isn't always right. It's part of our job as kind of the technology experts at the table to sometimes flag when the wrong decisions being made or to push back on um, conversations that need to be pushed back on. And kind of for better or worse, that's something we've lived throughout our whole portfolio and. The vast majority of the clients we work with on a daily basis really appreciate that because it's something that's very, it's way more of a partnership than just a kind of, yeah, you're shoving stuff down the funnel and we'll just kind of run off and do it. Um, That's what's come through is like, that is what is our culture. That is what kind of defines Iversoft. That's what defines the leadership. Um, That's what defines our people and culture team is that kind of air of openness and communication transparency, willingness to kind of stand up for the values. Um, And I think as much as we would have said pre-pandemic that the values played a big role in the company, I don't know that you would have had a crystal clear response from our entire leadership team that the values embody our culture. Um, There would have been a lot of references to like the art that's on the walls, what we've named our boardrooms, the vibe around the office, all of that stuff. Whereas today, I think you'd get a unanimous answer from anyone in any lead position across Iversoft that it's those values that bind the culture. And that's what attracts people. And that's what keeps people, um, which I think has been a really cool learning experience for me and very humbling to realize uh, maybe how powerful it is, but also how wrong some of my perceptions were before. But I love it. I want to keep learning.
0: Yeah, and that, that has come up in a number of different episodes I've done over over the past couple of years, is that company, there's the the culture and the value. Uh, well, I guess you typically talk about culture. I believe culture comes from the values that are demonstrated uh, by leadership every, day, every single day. Uh, and now you can have a plaque up on the wall that says, here's our values. I mean, Honesty, integrity, blah, 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 blah. I just want to throw up with that. But yep, the fact is the actions of leaders every single day and how they interact with their teams is what defines what the culture is. So the and if we talk about stress and burnout, uh, there's a great uh, definition of stress is that the stress rises based on how far you are from your actual to your ideal. So if, yep. if there's a big gap in like if you're promoting and your marketing teams promoting these values, and the reality is that you're in a toxic workplace, the further that gap is, the bigger the stress and burnout. Yep. And I think especially as companies grow and I've worked in lots, lots of different larger companies over the years, and it's just there's zero connection by leaders or employees to what the actual Like, well, they know exactly what the the real world values values are. But there's no connection to the values on the wall. And the companies that do that well, that really connect that and hire for that and reward and recognize people for acting and stepping up to live into those values, they're the ones that thrive. It's not rocket science, but it's so uncommon these days.
1: Yeah, one of the one of the exercises we did a couple years ago, and I think we're coming up on another pass to to redo it um, is when we settled on kind of our core values for Microsoft recently, we had a session where we kind of put all the values up at this time in a boardroom on a whiteboard with all the staff. And then we had all anyone in kind of a leader management role kind of left the site for the day. Um, and worked uh, somewhere else and all the staff in the company had an opportunity to put either kind of printed out stickies or written sticky notes on each of the values of whether or not they agreed with them whether they thought they were something we were actually living or not um, if something needed to change uh, in the way the value is presented or if um, there was something that was missing and honestly it was such an incredible Incredible experience. I think we got kind of resounding endorsement of. I think there were seven or eight at the time. Uh, resounding endorsement of three or four. A one hundred percent kickback on one of them of just like, yeah, this is great. We don't do this. This isn't us. So try again. Um, and then two or three of them where we got some really, really good feedback on. We like this. We think we're halfway there. Here's what we would need to do to actually make this part of our day to day and make this part of who we are. And we've tried to continue to collect the kind of feedback on a, on a smaller scale, but I know we're going to be redoing it now that we're um, a lot larger. And I think that kind of, to some extent anonymous, transparent, open feedback and communication with your team as to whether or not the day to day reality matches the writing on the wall is important and can be, can be a very humbling experience. And in some cases, I know companies that I've, I've talked to the idea about doing that. And they're like, yeah, we would never do that. <laughs> we know they wouldn't agree and we wouldn't do that. That's, it's just, we. I don't care. We're going to, we're going to strive for it. And that's what matters. And it's like, okay, well, if there's, if there's that much of a disconnect between what's written and what you, what you're kind of saying the reality is, then you like, you have problems that go far beyond just uh, disconnect on the values. But yeah, that temperature check to me is so, so important.
0: Yeah, and and that's that's something you know I've done uh, on the you know coaching side with leaders and teams, and and to really look at doing the the there's the core values and then what we call the aspirational values, and and differentiating between those because I, I like how you said yeah there's some that's like yeah this is something we live every day and there's these ones that yeah we're we're aspiring to that we're we're partway there, but being able to differentiate because when we talk about those core values that's the those are the things, the non-negotiables. That's yeah. When all the all the stresses, the challenge, the challenges, the conflicts that happen in interpersonal relationships, but also in the business, they typically are around one of the core values. And and yeah. that's that's something that again, companies and leadership teams don't always put the time into really clarifying. And if they do. We often see the gap in communicating that to the rest of the team uh, and, and across the organization. So that, you know, reception uh, or the, you know, the janitor or they, they need to know that what they're doing on a day-to-day basis is living into those core values and to be recognized and rewarded for living into them. But that's often not happening, especially in larger organizations. Yeah. So, how I'm I'm curious
1: in your experience, because you've I think been into a lot of organizations for this conversation. How often have you observed disconnect between kind of senior groups and maybe the more junior teams? And when you do, is there an opportunity to typically collect feedback from the junior teams? Or has there been generally a fair bit of pushback of like, yeah, no, we are not we're not polling everyone to to put an opinion forward? Uh it's-
0: yeah, it's a it's a great question. <laughs> the the fact is the the opportunity is always there to seek feedback. Whether the desire to seek feedback is there is a different story. I'd say more often than not, there is a disconnect between executive leadership team and and call it frontline employees. Yeah. Um, Why do you think that is? That's a good question to ask those leadership teams, <laughs> and, and and again, it comes back to why there's so much challenge around toxic workplaces, and not. I I I don't often like using that word toxic workplaces because it's not always toxic. It's just, a lot of times it's just man. It's like mm, yeah, whatever. Show up, go do my job, and and I hear so many people say. You don't have to love your work. You just show up and you put in your time. And but as a as a business owner, I don't want to see. Like, I don't yeah, want people a, in my that's organization. A in the
1: company, right? Like that is a that spreads.
0: Yeah, and and they're like, what do the stats show now? It's something like sixty five percent of people in the, or more in the companies are disengaged. Yeah. Um, some are passively disengaged. They're just like whatever. They're the meh Uh, and then there's the actively disengaged that are sabotaging the business that's where a lot of the focus goes on those people we obviously want those out but there's this middle of the bell curve that's just there they're putting in the time they do okay work but they're not thriving they're not happy but that's where the opportunity is is to as leaders when we can engage those people it's like turbocharge for for your your corporate culture, your results. And I think a lot of leaders are just so overwhelmed right now with everything that's going on. Is there either, I guess it's a combination of overwork, overwhelm, and maybe not necessarily having the skills to start to implement those. We see in even massive organizations, there are little, Uh, pockets within the organization where certain leaders are creating thriving teams and departments yeah but it's the exception rather than the rule it's not a strategic initiative top down to say hey we're going to develop our people and we're going to create this culture and uh, you know i think people often look at the tech industry and say, yeah, but it's different. They've got higher margins and they have the money to pay people more and add these perks. But, you know, as a Canadian tech entrepreneur, what, uh, how do you see that being different? Yeah, I think that's a,
1: that's a great question. I love the, the call too for like the segment in the middle is where a lot of the opportunity lies. So I I would say product software companies uh, definitely tend to have higher margins and have an advantage in that space. Um, However, uh, at least in the context of kind of Iversoft, like we're a services business. So we have similar margins to other service-based businesses where we charge a 20% markup on our kind of uh, time and materials cost. So that's, that's where we're. We're kind of looking and we follow very transparent pricing, so we're very upfront with our clients of what our cost basis is and what what the markup is, and we still make it work within that. I think a lot of businesses are often afraid to communicate how their business model works, um, especially in uh, the services space. there's a lot of effort to kind of like hide the math that happens behind the curtain, which sometimes makes it more challenging to raise your prices or negotiate like we um, we moved our prices a fair bit during the pandemic, uh, but it wasn't a huge issue with our portfolio because we we're very clear with our client of like, here's the cost of salaries in the team you have, here's what's changing because the whole world's going crazy. This is what the new pricing is. Um, because of that. So being more transparent and open helps, I think, facilitate some of that conversation. Uh, the other thing that I think sometimes gets lost is just because tech has Is more knowledge based that's more um potentially adaptable to remote there's a lot of things that we focus on for keeping people inspired keeping people motivated that is transferable and a lot of that comes down to um making sure you've got a culture where you recognize rising talent be willing to kind of promote quickly a lot of the times we talk to businesses and we can be a little bit a little bit controversial here and uh one of the things i Love and hate hearing from business owners is like, oh, there's no talent. I can't hire anyone. It's like, no, you can't hire anyone at the crappy wage you're trying to pay them. Pay them more, raise your prices. You will have talent and you'll be the only person in your sector that has the best players in the space. Um, And I think that's something that sometimes gets overlooked is happy, motivated, well-compensated people do better work. That's just a fact. And you can see that in... So much of the data, and I I would be willing to bet that that translates over to most kind of physical industries, most service industries. We've certainly seen it. Um, And we talk on it a little bit of like, we went remote and we saw productivity go up. Reality is, we saw productivity go up because parents weren't spending hours commuting. They had more time with their family and kids. They had more flexibility of like, oh, a kid is sick. I'm not panicking to figure it out. I can balance stuff a little bit differently. I can do the time I need to do for my job and then still be available um to make my own food at home or like whatever whatever it is that helped to reduce the stress it's that's the reality of what helped. and if you're not in a remote situation, well, you can't do that. there's so much else you can do in terms of providing providing certain flexibility by providing a little bit of autonomy of like people are adults they can make. Decisions for themselves. When you over track and over monitor and kind of almost over engineer your systems to contain and control everyone, people feel very contained and controlled and not motivated. And so often we see a combination of kind of that system plus a lot of arbitrary barriers to career progression, where it's like, okay, yeah, you're you're showing leadership and you're really killing it. We require three to five years of experience to move you up to the next role. So like in a year from now, we can talk about a promotion. Like if you've got something that's killing it. Promote them quickly. Show that there's upward mobility in your company. Show that people that are motivated, that are working hard, can advance. Um, I laugh a little bit seeing all the TikTok videos and the Instagram videos and everything trending in all of the new generations of like, you have to change jobs every two years to progress. And I think in most traditional organizations, that's true. <laughs> like, I've talked to business owners that are like, oh, I couldn't possibly give that person a $10,000 raise because they're they're going from junior to intermediate. They've only been here 9 months. It's like, okay, they've they've been here 9 months. Are they delivering at the level of the person that's making 10,000 more? It's like, yeah, but like that's way too fast. They might get greedy. It's like or they might realize they're worth what they're doing and you're billing them at that value. So like there's a there's a disconnect there. And I think that's all of that goes into how do you motivate? How do you address that middle slice? That isn't necessarily about like, oh, it's remote or it's it's tech, like it's it's people. Um, and that has been kind of our guiding philosophy for a long time at Iversoft. It's like we are a service-based business where our product, our offering is really smart people to work on problems. Therefore, as a management team, our only job really is to make sure we have clients and then make sure that they get the happiest, smartest, most productive people we can possibly find them everything else is kind of noise. And when you kind of distill it down, like when the figurative lights shut off and the office is empty, there's nothing there. Like we don't have a, a product that we're selling where we're, we tell the talent of people. And a lot of service-based businesses are the same way, and but don't necessarily recognize the people as the product, right? They, they think it's like, oh, it's, it's our brand, it's our legacy, it's Whatever. And it's like, that's that's part of it. But at the end of the day, you're selling people doing things. And the more skilled those people are, the happier they are, the better they are with your clients, the friendlier they are, the more successful your company is going to be. And so finding a hundred different ways to improve wellness and happiness is how you grow talent at those companies, how you retain people.
0: Love it. Yeah, exactly. Like hire great people, support them, help them learn, grow, and improve. And then, if we take some of the um, recent stuff, it's then you put tracking software on their computer, so it tracks their mouse strokes and, and keystrokes. Like, come on, I, I, yeah. I, I shake my head when I see that in the industry these days.
1: It's it's funny because it's such a hard line to walk, and we've actually had to. Have a lot of conversations with staff about this because, as a remote business, I mean, like we ship technology all over the country, we have proprietary code on people's computers. Um, it took us a while to find good fleet management tools for all of our hardware that did not include or could very explicitly for all staff show that they are not doing keystroke logging, they are not doing the remote monitoring, but they are giving us the ability to gps track a computer or remotely lock a computer and report it as stolen like those are those were two things we realized were were kind of a reality as a remote company is like we need to be able to turn off a computer anywhere in the world and just lock it down and make sure nothing can happen to it but finding finding that middle ground finding software it's like i don't need it to be invasive i just need kind of those two options for um what we need it to being able to do was, was challenging. We found a good solution though. So we're we're happy in that space, but it, it definitely took some some good conversations with staff. Like we are we are not doing this. We will do a whole tech demo of like, if we try and take over here, all the pop-ups and prompts it gives you of like, do you want this person to take over your computer? Do you want them to see this? Do you want them? Like, we're not doing any of that. We just need to be able to kill the power and track where it is. Because if you lose it, or if someone runs off with one, we need to be able to find it um we actually had that we had someone ship a laptop to china and we were able to the first time it turned on in china we were able to shut it down and kill it and take care of it and fortunately it was there was nothing associated with it that was a problem but it was insightful to see that journey and be grateful we had the the right tools in place
0: yeah and and that's that's probably a whole other podcast episode is the technology <laughs> these days of how how to manage and you know help remote teams thrive we need technology to do it but how that technology is used really i guess, i think it starts with trust trust yeah. in the people and as my wife likes to say trust but verify <laughs> like you know you you have to lead with trust and have safeguards in place like you said to be able to shut down remote shut down a computer but if you don't trust your people to get the job done that you've asked them to do
1: you that's hired the, the wrong reason. people.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the first issue. And yeah. it will become very clear very quickly if someone is not delivering. If you're leading people effectively, doing your one-on-ones and have clear expectations yeah. and metrics, it's very evident who's performing oh, yeah. and who's not. Oh, yeah. But extremely, that goes again to the extremely leadership extremely quickly identify
1: when the performance isn't there. And the reality is, like a lot of we sometimes hear like, oh, I can't, I can't possibly put the metrics in place where we're we don't have the time to look at that. I was like, if that is true, then you also don't have the metrics in place to identify rock stars in your company. You're also not getting the right data to identify and celebrate when you have people that are absolutely killing it, that are going above and beyond, that are doing that because it's the same systems, it's the same metrics, the same KPIs that come out of it that will help flag underperformance, also flag your superstars. And if you're not celebrating your superstars, why would anyone that has the capability of becoming a superstar stick around if there's no hope of them being acknowledged or progressing because of it? If it's purely going to be based on like personal politics of how well they navigate their one-on-one relationship with their manager, you're not going to get a culture or a team of high performers that are moving the needle forward, you're going to get a culture of politically savvy networkers. Um, yeah. There are some businesses, and that maybe that's what you're looking for. For us, we're looking for the superstars, we're looking for the people that are that are crushing it. And it's, it's funny, We we haven't kind of touched on this yet. But one of my favorite, favorite quotes that I reiterate often. Unfortunately, we like we've never actually run into this too much, but every now and then I catch myself falling into the trap a little bit. Um, which is the whole like theoretical conversation of between the CFO and a CEO of like, oh, we're spending so much money to train these people and buying courses. What if we train them and they leave? And the CEO responds like, what if we don't train them and they stay? Like li- to me that's... I literally
0: have that quote <laughs> on my website. Like for the course. I love it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like I heard it years ago and it is it it to this day is one of my favorite things. I was like, yeah, if you you pull someone out of the market, put them into your company, put them in a black box and have them ship the same stuff for three years. And then three years later, wonder why they haven't become an intermediate or senior person or improved in some way, or they're behind on the newest trends. I mean, software, I mean, we work in mobile. By virtue of Apple and Google shipping new operating systems every year, the space is moving every single year. There are new languages, new technologies, new hardware every year. You have to have a system that is keeping people trained and on top of things and make time and make space for that to happen, or you are going to fall behind. Um, same with any trade. Like if you're not taking time to train people and invest in development of the next step, yeah, you can get three years in with the same person. You've had the person doing the same routine stuff every year. And they're like, oh, I don't know that they ever have the potential to advance. Like you haven't created space for them to advance. And now you're complaining you've got someone that's not learning right
0: but well, i had a related conversation this morning with uh, uh she's a hr leader and she's been brought into a very not a tech industry but a subject matter expert uh, company we'll just call it engineer types <laughs> um in uh in more blue collar heavy industry and the a lot almost all of the leaders In that company are subject matter experts that have been put into leadership and she's like they they think they still need to be doing the job and we had a great conversation around that being one of the major barriers to promoting people is when you go from a doer to a manager your role is completely different it's great to take that subject matter expertise to understand the business and understand the roles that are happening. But your job is not to do anymore. Your job is to lead the people that do. And I think- Which that, is a
1: very different skill set.
0: It is. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's something that still, in, even in large companies, gets
1: completely lost. Our people in culture team would be losing their minds hearing you this say this right now. So- it's it's funny you say that. Like one of the things we have leaned into huge in the last six, six months. Um, it's been a, it's been on our periphery before, but like I would say the last six months has had a like heavy concerted concerted effort at Iversoft at least, is we realized as we were getting bigger and bigger and doing just that of like take your most senior developers, your most senior designers, your most senior whatever, and moving them into leadership positions. Shockingly, just because you change someone's title doesn't actually mean they have any training or understanding how to lead and manage people. Um, And if you don't take a proactive stance, you end up with a one-on-one six months later. That's like, oh, we're getting a lot of negative feedback that you run really bad one-on-ones, or like you don't give negative feedback well. It's like, and they're like, oh, how should I do that? What what should I change? Like, oh. Yeah, we probably need a system that trains management, that trains leadership, that trains how to do these things. And we've been building now a whole kind of pre-lead program where people that are aspirational for leadership get to kind of try out a leadership role for a month um, before getting promoted into it. Because thats I think that's a whole other thing is a lot of companies sometimes promote people into a role, realize they never should have done that, and are now trapped because you can't move them backwards. and you're stuck. Um, And so we've done a combination of things. So like one is creating the pre lead training, and then also creating lead and manager training, um, facilitated by our people and culture team on how to conduct one on ones, how to give feedback, they can shadow other successful uh, one on ones and uh, management um, interactions, but also looking at a scenario where we develop kind of a forked or split career path within iversoft where there is a path that people can go down where they continue to become subject matter experts and can continue to advance their career or they can choose to branch into management sometimes i think organizations set up a structure where you hit a plateau where the only way you can advance is management and not every domain expert should be a manager, sometimes it's okay for them to just continue to become a more senior developer, designer, architect, engineer, whatever. I mean, like, yeah, some of the some, some of the best engineers I've ever met or worked with, phenomenal engineers, probably should never run a team of engineers, um, should be a rockstar contributor on a team of good engineers, um, but have zero interest in the people management side of things. Yeah, and that's there are a lot okay. Of that just don't
0: want to do that. They're they're like, I love what I do. I want to keep doing this. I'm good at it, and embrace that. But they shouldn't yeah. be necessarily penalized for that. No, and and
1: I think that's that's one thing that is challenging. And I definitely think it's easier in tech, is there isn't necessarily really a ceiling for where people can advance in their own proficiency and discipline as um, as a just peer developer or. Um, like software architect, I think there's potentially more of a ceiling in other industries or other roles, but I don't know. But I think having an intentional structure in your organization where people can advance in both paths is important if your goal is long-term retention. If it isn't, then I think being very candid with people like, yeah, the only, the only step forward for you for here is into a management role or into another company. Um, and I think you can always find another company that will potentially pay more for that discipline, um, if they're not providing that opportunity, but yeah, the answer isn't always just force every senior person into team leadership, because it's also a good way to scare off a lot of high performers on that team. If you put someone into team leadership that is not interested in the person management side of things, and they would infinitely prefer to be a doer, um, and we've we've definitely been through we've been through that before where we've promoted phenomenal talent into leadership roles and then realized we we took away everything that made them excited about their job and months in they're just going like this is not for me like I I want to go back to the doing stuff because the the people management side is exhausting um, yeah. whereas we want the people that are lit up by like coaching and supporting and developing talent and passing on knowledge and technique and all of that but. Um, yeah, and to give Again, them All has to be intentional.
0: Yeah, to to when they get put into a position to make sure they have a development path to build the skills needed, if they if they want to go into that path. Yeah, and and that comes back to just that overall culture and building great teams. If you, you know, have the right training to develop people into the role, you like who's engine like a great doer engineer can become an amazing leader but as you said, it's a different skill set that has to be you developed. Teach them. And they, yeah, went to,
1: they went to school for years to become an engineer. They have years of career progression in the doing. All of a sudden you shift gears on them, drop them into a role and are like, you should be just as good at this as you were at the engineering stuff. It's like how <laughs> on what world, like you have to give them the skills. You have to at least take a step there. And I'm, not in any way saying we've figured it out. We're in the process of like figuring it out and finding the gaps and, and learning. But I think that's something that I see happen over and over again in, in companies is like, yeah, he's just, you get promoted. And as soon as you have the like new salary and title, they're like, all right, well, you're a manager now. Manage. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Now, one thing I, we touched on briefly earlier that I really wanted to dive into maybe as a bit of discussion is like, we've seen the role and structure of HR people wellness change dramatically. Uh, we've definitely seen it shift in Iversoft. I wanted to maybe get your opinion and share share some of our insight on like, what do you see has changed in the leadership structure and organizations from what was traditionally like your, I don't know, C level HR role to the introduction of like people and culture roles to the introduction of like, potentially wellness roles? What is what's changed? What do those roles mean? What's different between them? And how do companies benefit from that
0: yeah the the role of hr has drastically changed over the past few years um in the past i call it pre-covid hr was seen as basically the an administrative administrative function um, okay the there were it was the most common structure in most org- especially large organizations, large to medium, would be your CEO, the COO, CTO, and then VP of HR, and just that in itself. I, I often use the uh, analogy of HR sits at the little kids' table at Christmas, like, <laughs> and yep. you know, they're not yep. treated uh from a mindset standpoint as unequal in the C-suite now. There are, and pre, even pre-COVID, there were companies with C-level HR. And, and I think in those companies, depending on the person in that role, there can be a much more strategic role. So I, mean, I talk a lot about chief well-being officer and, and tech, technically the right person in a, a CHRO role or a CPO role can, can do a lot of those things and have that same impact. But what happens is a lot of the people, well, I, every C-HRO or c h r o c or chief people officer I've seen has come up through HR. And so right. they're steeped in the HR mindset of payroll benefits. Um, and they might be very good at um, managing the, the financial aspect of the people uh, business. But very few C-level HR people are seeing the, Overall strategic impact of well-being throughout the organization, um, and and that's where I'm like, have people do ha- have HR do what they really do well, which is the people side, and while well-being is definitely people side, there's also uh, a strategic component, organizational structure. Um, it go uh, well-being goes to leadership uh, learning and development It goes to operations it goes to sales and marketing it's finance where's the budget line items to get all these things in place and i think that's a well i don't think i know it's a different skill set than typically comes up through um years and decades in in hr right not to say it can happen because there's a lot of a massive and, and rapid change in HR over this last few years. I've talked to so many uh, business owners and and C-level leaders that are like, I've taught at the start of COVID. I talked to my HR um, director or VP more times in the last like month than I have in the previous 10 years combined. <laughs>
1: <You> know, <it's laughs> like, problematic, but I'm glad we're heading in the right direction now. Okay.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and, yeah. you know, whether, whether it's a chief well-being officer or um, CHRO, as long as strategically well-being is placed at, in the C-suite and there's line item accountability for the performance of people, um, and, and that is a multidisciplinary uh, impact. It's how do we restructure operational processes to help people thrive? How do we set up the budget to allow people to do that? How are we internally marketing to our team? How are we externally marketing to attract people? And so all these things are, are there, and I've used the analogy before of the uh, the pieces of the puzzle. Yep. so in most companies of, of any size, with say 50 people or more, they have most of the people most of the pieces of the puzzle on, in place. They've got a great benefits plan they've Got a learning development team, a people team, they've got the finances and the operations, and it's there. The systems are in place to run the business well. But what's missing is the top of the puzzle box with the picture. And and so strategically as a senior leadership team to sit down and, and every senior leadership team goes and does their mission, vision, values and their annual goals. Yeah. But on the specifically the people performance and well being side, to have strategic planning around what does that picture look like? What do we want the performance and well being of our people to do as part of contributing to our financial and organizational goals? And then who's responsible for that and how are we? Rolling it out in the organization, that picture does not exist in 99.9% of companies, despite having all the pieces of the puzzle on the table. So how do we? And and that's really what I do is come in and say, okay, let's take what you already have and flesh out that picture. And then we once we know the picture, it's like, oh well, this piece can go here, this piece can go here, and hey, we might need to add this one, but you probably don't have to add too much more, other than being able to restructure what's already on the table and see it in a new perspective from a new perspective. And so I think that's not happening even in companies with uh, CHROs. I would agree with that. I,
1: I would say we're, we're part of the way there, but I can't necessarily think of other companies I've interacted with that have that picture mapped out. And I think that's, yeah, it's interesting. It's one of the things that we've, we've run into, As a question we got a lot early on is like we added HR as a function in Iversoft earlier than I think most companies do. We had a full-time person in HR by the time we were nine people Mm -hmm. and have had full-time HR from that point on largely because what we said at the beginning is like our entire product offering is smart people. Therefore, if we're not doing the right things to attract and retain smart people, we don't have a whole lot to, to do. Um, but tying the kind of overall wellness philosophy together and having those metrics, I think that's something like something I know our people and culture team has been building KPIs for and really diving into how to measure and how to um improve. But you're absolutely right. And like the vast majority of companies haven't connected those dots yet. They have the they have the pieces, um, and they could, but starting those conversations at the senior level, I think is, is challenging. Um, which See, is why I was kind of exciting to be part of the podcast and part of here. Cause I love the work you're doing, the message you're putting forward. And I think more companies need to recognize as we go forward and as you're in a more competitive hiring landscape and in a more competitive global landscape for competition, like how you nurture talent is going to be so, so important for being able to compete.
0: Well, you met, You talked about it earlier in the first few minutes of the in, intentionality and and the mindset. And until C-suite leadership starts to look at it through a, that lens, it's not going to happen. Uh, and the the frustrating part for me over the past few years, and well, not me, just me, but the the well-being <laughs> industry in general is that billions have been spent on increasing benefits plans and um doing different workshops and seminars which is those are great tools in the toolbox but without the bigger picture and the strategy how do we know those are being effective and we know right now based on the stats they're not being effective despite billions of being spent people are more stressed and burnt out than ever so that Senior leadership is like they're they're throwing it out there checking the boxes and saying, "Yeah, we had to do this, we had to do this. It looks good on paper. We're not measuring the outcomes, and it's finally starting to shift. We're three years plus since covid hit, and finally people are like, All right, I guess we can admit what we're we were trying to do <laughs> isn't working, and we're yeah. still struggling to attract people and keep people and Morale's low. Okay, we need to do something different. So we're starting to see that shift, but it's yep. been. Well, I think
1: I think the new generation's coming up. Like when you talk about people about hiring Gen Z and hiring, um Gen Y and I don't know, um, and then Gen Alpha is like on the internet now, which is weird. But um when you talk to all these generations that have grown up completely native on the internet, and they have options, they can. Launch their own businesses, they can um, find distribution and scale easier than it's ever been in any generation in history. You'd better have a real compelling offer for why they should come work with you and why your business and your ecosystem is the right place to grow and develop their careers versus the thousand other side hustles they're being sold on TikTok every day. And I think what's funny is I keep hearing from Uh, maybe older generations that like the new generation doesn't want to work. It's like, no, they're content to work. They just don't want to work at a crappy job. And they've got options that they could do themselves that may not pay quite as much as your entry, the whole position, but close enough that they're not going to notice a lifestyle difference. And in one scenario, they're in control of their lives. In the other scenario, your monitoring keystroke software is going to just haunt them forever. So yeah, I think the, there's a, big shift coming, um, across all industries about how businesses operate to attract and retain talent. And it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. I think it's, it's taken a bit of a step back in the last couple of months with the kind of probably correction in the tech industry from some of the overhiring during the pandemic. But I don't think that's going to last. Like you're not seeing a ton of big tech companies laying off tons of people. And then nobody's rehiring nobody's growing like there's there's a equal cohort of new companies coming up and growing and cobbling up the talent but um yeah we're seeing we're seeing change coming which is which is exciting it's been uh probably a pretty crazy journey in the wellness industry or like the kind of corporate people industry for the last uh eternity <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> trying to change the the narrative
0: well and and one uh one last thing i wanted to touch on is uh something we discussed in a Previous conversation about some of the changes uh, that Iversoft made in well when going fully remote and some of the learning uh, around flexible culture, uh, compre- the compressed four day work week, and how what the reaction was from clients and staff on that.
1: Yeah, that was uh that was an interesting experience. We we went remote, and then I think within a year of going remote, we started having lots of conversations. They're like, okay, if this is like, this is our world now, we've fully embraced the remote thing. What else, what other assumptions do we have that were kind of untouchable things that maybe we should go challenge it again? Um, Largely because we'd all had our eyes opened on like 100% consensus of like, remote's not possible. Remote is infinitely better than everything we were doing. Okay, what else do we believe is kind of, sacred rule that could be challenged. And we started looking at a lot of the research and I think our uh, director of people and culture and our COO brought some of those forward. And we're looking at like, there's all kinds of research, especially in the knowledge based industries world of like four day work weeks are um, potentially competitive, potentially a big advantage. Um, We weren't out of state yet to go fully in on the kind of four day shortened hours work week. But we had seen overwhelming feedback from our staff that going remote the biggest change to their lives had been the flexibility had been the capacity to accommodate shit happens in your family like your kids show up your kids are sick or like you need to pick them up at three o'clock like whatever it is and we started looking at okay well how do we lean into the flexibility what do we actually need from people how often do we need to meet how often do we need to be calling people in for a video call or a conference call and how often are we on calls with their clients, because a lot of the times our client work is kind of heads down writing code or um, testing apps or whatever it is. And so we piloted, we introduced it for the company and piloted it for I think two months, Um, the idea of a compressed 40 hour work week. And what that meant was we established what the core office hours were for Iversoft. So these were the core hours that we expected to be able to book anyone in a meeting. And they would have to show up without Giving us prior notice for something, and that that ended up being, um, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern. That five window, the five hour window, Monday to Thursday, we needed to be able to book anyone in the company. Outside of that, how you accomplished the rest of your hours or how you got your schedule done was kind of completely in your hands. We had some staff say no, they want the eight hour Monday to Friday week. We had a lot of devs that were already doing longer hours because they weren't commuting, saying well. I've done four 10 hour days Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Does that mean I just don't have to do anything on Fridays? It's like yeah if you've if you've put forty hours of kind of code into the system and you've logged that time, we're not asking for an extra day from you. It's okay. Um, what it required from a company process standpoint was you cannot book mandatory meetings or client meetings on Fridays. Um, for some people, that gave them a quiet heads-down day. For other people, they'd already done their forty hours by the end of the day, Thursday, gave them a three day week and we left it flexible so that it's not like you have to lock in at your contract signing that I will do this. It it can vary week to week. As long as we need you there 10 to three and we need you hitting all of your deliverables every week, outside of that, choose your schedule. And after piloting it for two months, we ended up incorporating it fully into our core philosophy for Iversoft and everything, because it did a number of things. Like we, again, saw a continued productivity bump and boost from, similar to what we'd seen when we went remote, were from people being able to take back their schedules a little bit, um, reduced stress for managing family, kids, whatever, like because of the hours, parents could take their kids to school. They had no problem picking their kids up from school. So that whole transition became a thing. There's a whole cohort that does a couple hours after dinner, um, Monday through Thursday, because that's a good time for them to collaborate and work. And it's after kids have gone to bed. Um, and again, we saw the caliber of talent that we could recruit and the, the volume of applications we got on every position we put up went through the roof, um, which is the win for the clients. Uh, and that's how we kind of presented it with clients is like, look, not all of them love the idea that they couldn't book us out of call on Friday. However, when we went through the conversation, of like, okay, you're going to give up being able to book us on a Friday, in exchange, I am going to get you some world-class talent that we can pull from some of the biggest companies on the planet that we can't afford, you can't afford on a raw dollars basis, but they're willing to come work on your project. They're willing to come work at Microsoft because they value that family flexibility, that kind of work-life balance opportunity more than the kind of Fortune 100 world they're living in right now. And that's been game-changing for us. Like it's been, uh it's been amazing while everyone in the world was like there's a talent shortage we we're like we are drowning in resumes um which was awesome and the output's been amazing it really hasn't caused an issue we're very upfront with it it's on our site it's in our branding it's we talk to clients about it upfront. and um the vast majority of our businesses uh, retainer clients that expand their teams and renew and keep growing uh so the results there speak for themselves. We've I think we've grown almost 40% every year, year over year for the past four or five years. And like a lot of that growth comes from being able to pull in phenomenal talent and keep them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what's the, about the, um, the t- saying in tech is it's, it's not a bug, it's a feature. And so when you, <laughs> when you yeah. say it to your clients, it's like, yeah, this is, this is the benefit of doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And well, Graham, it's been amazing having you on the show. And I we could I know we could continue talking for a long time. <laughs> and I, we're going to have to chat about having you on the show again, uh, down the road and pick a different topic next time. It'd be but, awesome. Uh, where, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, so I'm on uh, Graham Barlow on all the social channels or grahambarlow.com. If you're looking for software development support, iversoft.ca is the place to check us out and always happy to chat all things, kind of tech entrepreneurship, uh, and development.
0: Very thank cool. Thank you so and much and for having and me. And this gaming, was fun apparently. Right.
1: And gaming, always sure. gaming. As I am, I'm still on the fence of whether I want to like dive into Twitch and stream some gaming. Cause I think uh, that would, that would hurt my ego a little bit, but, um, uh, yeah, always, always a fan. Excellent.
0: Well, thank you again for being a guest on the show. And, uh, I will make sure those links go in the show notes. And um, thank you so much. We will catch up again soon. Thank you, sir. That wraps up another episode of the Working Well podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Which guests or topics would you like to see featured on the show? Message me through LinkedIn or on the contact page of timboris.com. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Tim Boris with Fresh Group and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.